Welcome to the New Books Network. New Books in Southeast Asian Studies is sponsored by the ANU Southeast Asia Institute, the Griffith Asia Institute, the New York Southeast Asia Network, the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, and the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. Welcome to New Books Network and Southeast Asian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nicole Corrado, Professor of Political Sociology at the Center for Deliberative Democracy and Global Governance at the University of Canberra in Australia and co-host of the channel. Today I'm talking to Professor Siun Bang Shin of the London School of Economics in the United Kingdom and Dong Ye Oh of Pusan National University in South Korea. Together with Marie Mackenzie, Hyun, and Do Yang are editors of COVID-19 in Southeast Asia, Insights for a Post-Pandemic World, published by the LSE Press in 2022. The book brought together an ensemble of social scientists offering critical reflection that challenged dominant narratives about COVID-19 by grounding their analysis on how the pandemic was differently experienced in the region. Professors, welcome to the new books in Southeast Asian Studies. Thank you very much for the kind invitation. Uh, it's lovely to be here and talk about our book. So thank you so much again. Hello, nice to meet you. Pleasure to join here. Great. So first of all, the book is available open access. So we posted the link on our website so our listeners can easily download and read the book. So you put together an impressive collection. It has 26 chapters with such a diverse lineup of scholars. So can you tell us about your thinking behind how you structured the book, how you selected the authors, and I mean, 26 chapters, that's a lot. What brings these chapters together? Hyun, let's start with you. All right, thank you so much. Um, where I have to say the book uh, uh, project was dating back to June, roughly June 2020, uh, a few months into the pandemic. It was actually part of uh, LSE Southeast Asia Center's rapid response to COVID-19 in the region of Southeast Asia as an attempt to provide an insight into how the pandemic has affected the, the lives of people uh, in the region. And at the time, um, we didn't, uh, here we referring to the co-editors, uh, what we didn't want to provide a conclusive assessment of the consequences of COVID-19 since it was still in a, a developing. We also didn't want to uh, provide a collectively exhaustive assessment of region, regional outcomes of the pandemic for the same region. What we wanted to do was to provide a snapshot of social issues and policy imperatives in the region of Southeast Asia, juxtaposing a diverse arena of societal challenges uh, uh, that were emerging during the pandemic. And we also um, uh, were acknowledging the fact that a lot of the uh, initial responses that were uh, circulated uh, in the academic world and also in policy world uh, in the early part of 2020 were largely the voices of uh, 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 of the global north. And we didn't really see uh, or hear a lot of uh, interventions coming directly from the, uh, from the global south and especially from Southeast Asia. So what uh, we wanted to do was to redress the inequality um, in the academic domain and also in policy circles and provide a platform for those working in and on Southeast Asia. So we initially kind of started with the um, setting up of a blue account on, our, uh, on the LSD website uh, 
which was to be uh, organized by the Southeast Asia Center. Um, and we invited, you know, basically the colleagues you who know, are in the region, especially uh, using our oil careers researchers network that the center uh, was organizing and invited us contributors you know, who are, are willing to engage uh, with their disciplinary practices and, and regional affairs in, uh, in re- relation to Southeast uh, at the pandemic in the region. So in doing so, we actually put together uh, about 40 plus blogs, which were published on our uh, LSA blogs website since September 2020. And among the blogs which are published, uh, we basically you know, selected 24 uh, chapters and about 36 you know, contributors to basically contribute to this uh, uh, extended volume on COVID-19 in Southeast Asia. So basically, the aim was to secure the voices of the region in order for them to actually provide the assessment at the time of this you know, book and writing about the region that they care about. Maybe over to you, do you if you have anything to add. Um, yeah, nothing much here, but just want to mention, I was quite surprised by the overwhelming responses from the region. And I, I fully agree that uh, there are like various um, researchers, experts in the region who can tell us more uh, rich stories uh, regarding their responses to COVID-19, but their, their voices were largely unheard. So. Uh, we thought this is a great opportunity. Uh, we, we can let them showcase their voices to, to other parts of the world. In the introduction, you mentioned that you did a, a media analysis, at least in the English-speaking press, of the coverage of COVID-19 and very little knowledge and insights are coming from Southeast Asia. And I was really thinking, how is this possible? I mean, we are, as a region, Southeast Asia is also very much affected by this and also is the home of some of the, I would I would know if it's good to call them best practices, but some people would call them best practices or success stories, but also some of the most tragic stories, but how come we are not well represented in, in global media coverage? To me, that was that was really surprising and, and deeply, deeply troubling. Yes, indeed. I mean, that, that was one of the reasons why we thought it would be important you know, for such voices to be heard. And obviously, we don't intend to make the, the COVID-19 and Southeast Asia book as the only uh, kind of venue for, representat- for representing the voices of Southeast Asia researchers and academics and critical scholars. And we, we were hoping that you know, this volume you know, would make you know, one, of the, one of the many contributions that would capture the voices of the region. And yes, as you say, Nicole, I mean, it was deeply troubling that you know, the global mainstream media, although they were you know, occasionally covering you know, the stories from the region, uh, from Asia, uh, East and Southeast Asia here in particular, I think it, it was still uh, pretty much dominated by probably you know, from their perspective, more important stories from mainstream economists in the global north. And, and despite the huge contributions made by Asian economists to the global economy, and also despite all the uh, interesting uh, experiments that may be coming out from the region, uh, many of these were not really uh, represented adequately uh, in global media and, and global scholarship as well. Yes, I remember some of these articles are also very essentializing about what is it about the Thai DNA that makes them resistant to COVID-19 mm-hmm. without actually looking at grounded practices of how the country was able to address um, mm-hmm. the pandemic. Um, I loved your discussion about the metaphors used to describe COVID-19. And of course, one of the most influential ones is 
the pandemic is a portal that spurs imagination to new possibilities. And then there's also the metaphor of the pandemic as an X-ray, right, that reveals social fractures. So can you give our listeners a flavor of the point of view um, the book offers in terms of what the pandemic did to the region? Do you buy into the pandemic is a portal metaphor, pandemic is an X-ray? What is the point of view you're offering? Let's start with Doyoung now. Yeah, so um, yeah, we cited from using McTan saying pandemic is like uh, X showing X-ray means that uh, we're building long-lasting like social issues of the region. So pandemic might bring new issues and problems in the region, but actually it reinforcing or stressing or revealing the existing problems of the region. So I think this book is showing actually not just only respon responses to COVID-19, but actually it's showing the societal issues of the region more closely. So when we, when, when we, when readers actually read, read the book, the readers can learn not only about COVID-19 responses, actually they can learn about the, the existing uh, pressing issues of, of the region in general. So I think this book can appeal to the reader, readers in, in that aspect as well. What about you, Jun? If I may just add, and if, uh, so in a sense, I mean, we use these two metaphors, uh, uh, Porter, which was something we, we gained from Arundhati Roy's uh, 2020 in an essay. And Eugene McKay's the, the reference to X-ray, and in a sense, we are trying. What we are trying to do was to combine these two as a way of uh, kind of thinking about how the pandemic can be used as a portal through which circumstances can be brought more clearly into view, and through which we might collectively venture into imagining uh, future possibilities. But we are not using the portal as a way of kind of indicating that there there is something new to be discovered. Mm -hmm. And this is where we we are look, uh, linking to a. Uh, the, the metaphor of X-ray, and also uh, very much agree with what uh, another interesting article written called by Gautam Ban, Teresa Caldera, Kelly Gillespie, and Abdumalik Simon in their to the to the twenty paper, where they were trying to kind of you know kind of criticize the way in which the you know, global north was depicting the issue of pandemic at the time, especially as a way of kind of you know kind of referring to this pandemic as as something you know, totally catastrophic. Which is sort of a kind of a, a, a tendency uh, to uh, depict uh, the pandemic as if this is a new problem that the uh, global community is facing and something uh, that generates a new set of challenges. And what they were trying to criticize, Kotamban uh, uh, and his colleagues uh, in their paper, was the fact that in a pandemic can be only one of many problems. Um, and it, what it actually does is uh, these emerging the infectious diseases can be um, one of the many risks that the global south in particular has been facing on, a, on an everyday basis. And this is what we also try to uh, ascertain as well, so that um, the portal can be a way of understanding, uh, making us in, uh, realize uh, what the problems are. But these problems are not something that have, have been generated in a, in a new way by the pandemic, but something that have been long-lasting, long existing in the global styles in particular, and these are uh, even exacerbated uh, and also unevenly uh, experienced um, and, and further ascertained by the coming of the pandemic. 
Can you give us an example? I know you're not allowed to play favorites in terms of the chapters because I assume you treated all authors equally and with the same amount of competence and professionalism. But can you give us an example of a chapter that really captured uh, just what you said, Hyun, about a country or a community where the pandemic isn't necessarily this rupture, but really just the continuation of pre-existing perhaps social health um, political issues that they've experienced, and how the common or the dominant or common framings of of the pandemic um, actually can be can be challenged. Can you give us an example of that chapter? Well, obviously, one well, one great example is uh, the the chapter thirteen written by uh, Fernandez Muyo, uh, Pangelina, and Pihano, uh, 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 who are working on uh, the experiences of uh, modern. 600,000 overseas Filipino workers uh, for whom the pandemic had forced uh, the, repatriation, uh, the repatriation as of uh, April 2021. So I think this kind of case of you know, overseas Filipino workers you know, who are pretty much you know, important for the Filipino economy um, and very much uh, the backbone of uh, the economic futures of, of the Philippines uh, facing a lot of difficulties uh, during the pandemic time uh, upon their return. Um, the whole you know, kind of lengthy and inconvenient journeys that the authors were trying to describe and explain uh, from Metro Manila to their home provinces uh, with all the limited access to financial assistance uh, to protection. All of these are basically you know, what they were facing uh, regardless of the pandemic, but these became, became very much you know, uh, revealed and, and brought to uh, our attention in a more you know, a shocking way. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were uh, experiencing these because of the pandemic, but they were basically exposed to these you know, risks all the time. But people you know, simply uh, probably you know, not, mu- not much paying attention to these, despite probably the, uh, uh, the many uh, instances of them making you know, these issues uh, known to some people, but not to everyone. So I guess that you know, the, the Filipino workers do have the difficult experiences before and during the pandemic can be one of the examples of how the portal and x-ray metaphors can be used in a, in, a, in a useful way to allow us to have a more understanding of what has been, has been really experienced by many of these uh, 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 populations who are already uh, uh, experiencing disadvantages. Yeah, that is that is actually a very powerful example. Uh, how about you, Doyoung? Uh, for me, I think uh, the chapters about Singapore cases are more, um, I feel more relevant to my previous research as well. So we all know there are uh, many domestic workers and migrant workers in Singapore and, and everyone knows that their their rights are not very preserved compared to other Singaporean citizens. And we all know um, migrant workers like actually locked in other camps while the other Singaporean citizens enjoy relatively uh, more freedom to move around, then it actually, in the end, it ended up like the government is, is rethinking uh, the policies on migrant workers in the end to guarantee a more better living environment for these migrant workers. So I think this is also case showing the existing problems. And also, it was a case show there is possibility we can actually progress the society in a better way. So these chapters um, also showing the reality, but also show some possibility to change the society. So I, I, I pretty much um, life 
enjoyed reading these uh, chapters. I think chapters 11 and 12 by William Jamison and Laura Antona. Yeah. Right. But again, there's no favoritism in terms of chapters. Um, all of the chapters, I think, carry their own weight um, in the in, in making sense of um, giving us critical insights of how the pandemic was experienced or differently um, experienced in the region. Ahian, uh, I want to turn to you because I know your work is grounded in urban geography. So I would like to ask you how you think the Southeast Asian experience of COVID-19 um, advances contemporary um, debates in the field. And I ask this because I think one of my frustrations as someone studying Southeast Asia myself is that the topics that we study are often considered case studies that have that are very you know esoteric, that have insights that don't travel to the rest of the world. And I think the book is very much pushing back against that, that this compendium is actually a way of decolonizing knowledge, of challenging traditional ways of knowledge production. So in the context of your field, urban geography, how do you think this book and the Southeast, exper Southeast Asian experience of COVID more broadly uh, advances the field? Well, thanks so much for that question. Um, I think here I would probably stop by referring to another really interesting book, you know, which is uh, entitled Pandemic Urbanism, which uh, was uh, written by uh, Harris Arnley, Creighton Connolly, and Roger Kyle. I mean, this book is there, uh, uh, the pandemic urbanism is about the broader, you know, the, the view or uh, at the global scale, but uh, also it has something that speaks very much to the ethos of our COVID-19 and in Southeast Asia book as well. So here, yes, I fully agree with you, know, you Nicole, you know, about how Southeast Asian studies are often rendered as key studies of more global rhetorics or discourses. And this is something I pretty much agree and, and, uh, and also find as problematic. What can also be usefully understood is you know, um, the ways in which you know, we are going to, we need to approach the uh, regional affairs and, and try to basically build a bridge between what is you know, being circulated as global discourse um, and also what is being experienced uh, on the ground in, in the region. And the analysis will need to be uh, always you know, situated in this broader debate uh, while highlighting the concrete you know, experiences of people that are being observed by researchers. So um, every study, you know, despite where, uh, regardless of where they are located, you know, either in global north or global south, we always have the uh, case studies of some sort in any case. And this is probably where we are very mindful uh, when you are producing this core edited volume of Southeast Asia uh, experience of COVID-19, asking researchers to really think about you know, um, uh, from their own you know, uh, disciplinary understanding, uh, given that these authors have uh, backgrounds in various social science disciplines of anthropology, development studies, or geography, urban studies, and so on. You basically link uh, the disciplinary understanding to what they analyze. Um, right. So, in terms of urban geography or urban studies, you know, one thing I can uh, ascertain is, um, and here again, I uh, let me just kind of uh, slide to the pandemic always authors and a point about how the pandemic has really uh, renewed our understanding of the right to the city uh, in particular. So, um, in a sense, the pandemic has been, in a sense, opening up new avenues for new, making new claims to the right to the city for those people in you know, who are basically uh, practicing uh, solidarity and, and collective you know, response at community level. Uh, and this was something that came up very strongly in our, our COVID-19 Southeast Asia book. 
where we have an entire you know, section that consists of you know, many chapters that talk about collective action communities and mutual aid. And I think this is very important to understand uh, and a uh, revelation that communities in Southeast Asia have been having this capacity. And this is not something that has come about to exist you know, because of the pandemic, but basically they had the capacity and they have been practicing this collective you know, uh, endeavor uh, and mutual aid you know, as part of their you know, community level governance and, and and this basically provided the foundation upon which pandemic-related responses were able to be produced. And I think this is uh, uh, very uh, important in our understanding of uh, uh, the, the, the claims of the right to the city, because you know, these are the communities you know, whose presence has been largely uh, remaining invisible uh, in our discussions uh, at the policy level in particular. And I think you know, the whole you know, emphasis and discussions they were attending to community-level actions will be very important for critical scholarship to continue to these discussions about the right to the city uh, uh, that has been very much central to critical urban scholarship you know, for many years uh, to basically you know, shed more light on the importance of you know, uh, the role of communities in shaping urban governance and how uh, the right uh, uh, to the city can be you know, uh, secured in times when the uh, the governance in the region during the pandemic has been largely uh, seeing the rise of more authoritarian nature of uh, running uh, uh, countries. So I suppose that's probably where I would uh, uh, emphasize uh, re regarding the, the region's contribution to the understanding of uh, urban studies and urban well, critical urban studies and urban geography uh, in relation to uh, urban governance and right to the city and uh, uh, debate. Yeah, I think that's a really important running thread that's quite consistent in many of the chapters of the book, this attempt to render what's typically invisible, visible, things that we take for granted, such as, yeah, networks of mutual aid and the role of communities in asserting their right to the city. Um, Doyoung, I'll, I'll ask you the same questions. Um, what kind of invisible practices do you think one was able was was the book able to to render more visible or what invisible practices in the region do you think should gain more attention when we talk about the pandemic? Certainly, I I fully agree with what Hyun just said. So I and these community uh, led initiatives are uh, as well as collective action, which are these are also you know one of three key themes of our AFP uh, volume, and this is really worth um. He highlighted, so as Hyun mentioned, when you look into the literature, urban study literature on Southeast Asia, it tends to focus on like authoritarian state or like underdeveloped areas like slum residents and so on. So this um, community spirit, community-led initiatives have been there, but um, I don't think they um, have received sufficient attention you know, so they they there are obviously more possibilities these community initiatives can be learned and also practiced other parts of the world as well so uh, in, in our uh, many chapters of Indonesia uh, discuss the idea of community spirit uh, named Gotong Noyong this this uh, community spirit was an important part to deal with, uh, you know, like, suffer, like, 
uh, issues related to COVID-19 in, in, the, in Indonesian cities and towns while the state was rather like malfunctioning at, at that time. So this, uh, such, a, such an effort actually highlighted there is possibility that there could be more um, like caring and inclusive approaches in, in, in urban design and planning. And, and this is a, a greatest uh, lesson we can learn from this literature. And it also, um, not only about the, the uh, practical aspect, but in terms of uh, knowledge production, this is also a great opportunity that we, we can you know, decolonize and, and decenter knowledge pro production uh, from global north to, to global south. And as many, many of our authors are uh, based in Southeast Asian region, and some of them actually never um, studied in, in, in Western uh, countries. So I, we are quite proud that we, we, we work with them and we, we can, you know, publish their works in, in our educate volume. I think that is really a, a good effort to amplify the voices of scholars from Southeast Asia and amplify the kind of knowledge being generated from the region. So I'm down to my final question, and I think this is kind of more of a, a question that looks forward. I'd like to uh, ask you to tell our listeners uh, what you're working on now, uh, your current curiosities, your micro and macro obsessions uh, in your scholarly work. Uh, Do Young, let's start with you. You just moved to to a new university in in South Korea. What are you working on right now? Yeah, so I recently moved to Busan last month. So I'm looking for researches that can be done here at this moment. So I'm particularly interested in like micro. One of my interests is migrant workers from Southeast Asia, as there are many of them in, in the region, but uh, there is very little research on their living conditions or uh, their relationship with uh, cities in Korea. So in, especially uh, there are a few studies on uh, other regions outside of Seoul, so, which is capital city of South Korea. So, I, I, so it's also there is a disparity not in a like global level, but also within within like country level. Like sometimes the researchers tend to focus on major cities, so it also happened the same in South Korea. So I plan to prepare to conduct such research to highlight um, this migrant workers issues in South Korea. And Hyun, how about you? It's a turbulent time in British academia, but I'm sure that never stopped you from uh, pursuing new lines of inquiries. What are you working on now? Well, at the moment, I'm uh, writing and uh, starting a new project. I'm actually trying to wrap up as much as possible what uh, I have been uh, pursuing uh, through the last few years. Uh, like many researchers across the world, uh, my own projects uh, have also been affected by the pandemic. Field work uh, I was planning uh, couldn't proceed because of the pandemic and lockdown situations and therefore having uh, all of these were delayed. Um, so eventually they are, uh, they have been concluded, uh, but I need to really work on those bind uh, writing of those bindings. And these, there are two lines of uh, inquiry that have been made through the last few years. One is, one of them is the, the global manifestation, well, the urban manifestations of global China, especially looking at Chinese developers' uh, investment 
outside China, one of these projects to open uh, is involving uh, um, uh, the Chinese uh, one of the Chinese developers investing in Malaysia, Iskandar Malaysia, which uh, many of the the audience members listening to this podcast will be aware of uh, the Forest City project. Um, so I'm still writing up uh, these ones, and this is the British Academy funded project that I work with and I uh, co investigators investigators, and whose names are. Yimin Zhao and Zini Ko. Um, the other project I'm also writing on is actually some, uh, a project that I've been working with Young, um, especially looking at the circulation of Asian urbanism. And one of the projects I just um, uh, was in Kuwait, and also the other uh, site was in a new cloud city uh, in the Philippines. So we are also trying to write up and how the Asian investment in the new city construction of new class city and was proceeding and, and what lessons we can learn from this um, overseas extension of Asian urban experience that were rooted in uh, in a country like uh, uh, China or South Korea. All right, fantastic. Thank you both for joining the podcast. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Professors Hyun Bang-shin and Do-young Oh are the editors of COVID-19 in Southeast Asia, Insights for a Post-Pandemic World, published by the LSE Press. You've been listening to New Books in Southeast Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. This has been one of hundreds of conversations about other Southeast Asia-related books on the channel. You can download or stream these interviews free of charge from the New Books Network website or subscribe through your favorite podcast app.